Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Jungle Cruise starring Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jack Whitehall, and Paul Giamatti. Based on Walt Disney's The Jungle Cruise Ride Attraction, story by, oh, here we go, Matt, John Norville, Josh Goldstein, Glenn Ficarra, and John Riqua. Screenplay by Michael Green, Glenn Ficarra, and John Rica, and directed by Jaime Colette Seta. A lot of writers in that. Oh, gosh. A lot of cooks in that kitchen, right? A lot of of cooks in the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films as we continue and catch up with a lot of 2021 releases. You know, it's this catch-up cast because they're all coming out just like once a week now. And we got to talk about this, too, because I I was also... Last week, Suicide Squad. I didn't really. We didn't really talk like numbers a lot, like box office numbers. But the budget of that film was one hundred eighty-five million dollars. This week, we're dealing in the two hundred million dollar. Do you remember when we would look at two hundred a film? And be like, wow, what a this is like Cleopatra numbers. Like that's like <laughs> nothing. Every film coming out every week is two hundred million dollars, and they have like literally a week to make it. And I don't know if any of them are making their money back on on these investments. It's tough with the. The limitations with the theater willingness of Mm -hmm. people. You know, I'm curious, as we continually see now an increase in budgets and what is becoming a commonplace number with films, $200 million at the drop of a hat, $150 for something that would maybe be just like a drama, right? Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about that dead zone being anything more to 15, anything from like 15 to like 70. Mm -hmm. That's that. Usually drama type character driven thing that yeah. most studios shy away from because it's too much to put in for the likelihood that it's going to return. Mm-hmm. My question on that is, as these numbers for these tentpole films get bigger and bigger and more common, mm-hmm. are we going to see maybe a, an adjustment of what that dead zone range is? And are we maybe saying if you can, because it used to be like, here's the, here's the gold in Hollywood, everybody. Yeah. Under three million, single location, mm-hmm. high concept. Yeah. Impossible, Every, impossible yeah. to do. <laughs> so essentially the impossible script. Yeah, yeah. But you could get away with maybe 10. Yeah. As we see like an increase to 200 plus, is maybe that number moving to 25 now? I would hope so. So you can go under 25 and maybe have a hope that your spec Absolutely. drama can find some legs? I'll take your question. I'll raise you another question. Mm. Back to like the days of like the 80s when like E.T. would come out and just rain the summer and you'd go see it like seven times. Yeah, right. Where's the replay value of a lot of these films we've been talking about? You're not going seven times to see any of these films we're talking about. But back in the day, you would, yeah, we're, like, we're taking the fan. We're going to see E.T. for time number four. No one is doing that today. You're right, because there was nothing else out. Exactly. No, most normal summers and normal times, you get maybe a two-week window. Maybe. That's a big maybe. I would to say take the family to go see the thing, but <laughs> it's not everyone's going to do that. I want to ask you a question, though. Okay. So, again, we're going to look at more of the Warner Brothers Disney streaming model a little bit because that's this week and next week. Sure. But aside from I'm just at home and it's background noise. Mm-hmm. So let's not count that because that's not really the the space I'm wanting to talk about. Mm-hmm. What's the last film contemporary okay. that you saw that you would want to go see in the theater more than once? Because I'm sitting here thinking and I am drawing a blank. 
Well, my, my pick will probably, it's probably, it wouldn't be your pick, but I did because I liked the scope of what it was presented because I saw it in the IMAX when it came out. I did really enjoy Blade Runner 2049. So I would go see it in that format because it warrants the theatrical presentation. It's like 2015, 2017. Yeah. October 2017. So just because of the scope of it warrants theatrical viewing. Uh, any other thing? Yeah, I'm okay seeing it on my home, on my TV here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So back to the E.T., because that's all that was out. Mm-hmm. I think I wanted to see E.T. Yeah. more than once. Not because it was the only thing out, but because I enjoyed it. Well, not to say how shocking that film was just in its entirety, but there's a lot of like just good theatrical moments in that film that warrant you know kind of an experience. Yeah, no, that's fair. This ain't the E.T. podcast, though. This is the Jungle Cruise podcast. I just think it's an interesting well, I'm sure we'll get theory it. you've laid out, yeah. and I can't... I, I, you know, Blade Runner 2049 wouldn't be my choice. I can't think of one that mm-hmm. I would rush to see in the theater more than once right yeah. now. I like how you said last week, it was like, sure as hell ain't mink. <laughs> sure as hell ain't mink. Uh, we're doing a new bottle today. This is the Black Maple Hills Limited Edition. This is Oregon Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Mm. We've never done this bottle before, but we've seen it time and time again, and we're finally going to do it now, so... Cheers to you, bottoms up. Cheers to you, bottoms up, and cheers to our Patreons because mm-hmm. you guys bought this bottle. Thank you. <laughs> mm. I really dig this. Mm-hmm. It's really smooth. It is smooth. I like the, you know, almost kind of, I almost want to say butterscotchy kind of taste yep. I'm getting. Yep. That's a good bottle right there. That is a good bottle. Black Maple Hill Blue Label. And we're sticking under our limit, uh, 95 proof. <laughs> yeah, anything more than that, and we start to yeah look for the door, don't we? Excellent. Well, let's get this started with our flight question. Yeah, nice jovial little thing. There. It reminds me it's very John Williams-esque. I was just going to say, as we begin our jovial romp through Pirates of the Caribbean Part 2. There you go. Hit us with the flight question this week. Okay, so let's go with three. What I'd like you to tell me is your three favorite Disney properties that have been adapted or turned into live action films. Excellent. Uh, you want me to go first? Sure. All righty. So coming in number first, you know I'm not I'm not a huge fan of, and we I don't even know if we've really done any of these on the show. Maybe maybe we'll snatch onto the ne- the next big one that comes out. But I ain't really big into this kind of redoing of the live at the anim- what they did animated and then turn it into live action. Mm-hmm. But the one I did kind of really uh, enjoy was the Jungle Book one. I, I really liked that. I, I liked. CG animals is going to be a big thing for me again today this week. Uh, But there, because they're talking, I think it's okay. They did some motion capture stuff. I thought they interacted well with the young Mowgli. I thought the voice acting was really good in that from Scarlett Johansson to Christopher Walken. Hey! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, he was uh, King, uh, what's the orangutan's name in that thing? Louis. He was King Louis in that. I thought thought that was, it was just fun. Uh, I think, is Idris Elba, uh, Bagheera? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, great voice cast then. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be my number three. Uh, I thought the Beauty and the Beast one was pretty well made, but you know I didn't need live action of that. I don't need live action of Lion King, any of them. That was the one that really kind of worked for me. Well, Mr. Stealing Thunder Guy, Okay, <laughs> my number three is the one you just mentioned, and it is Beauty and the Beast. I think that's well-suited for that type of uh, scenario. Not heavy on the animals, but you could do good makeup with the Beast. Mm-hmm. 
And then the rest of those people are just people. So you don't have to worry about over CGing it. Yeah. The one of the things, the reason I chose this flight is because of what you said. Mm-hmm. I know that you hate CGI animals. So I was wondering if we could find some variants in that to test for digital animals and see if there's something. And lo and behold, you knocked it out of the park. I think the if they're going to sing, if they're going to talk, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because you can't make a real, an- you either have a real animal and his mouth doesn't move. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. So I'm curious, would you prefer then a return to like bed knobs and broomsticks, the animated with the live action piece? I kind of liked those. That's kind of fun. Mary Poppins had a Mary lot of Poppins, that Mary Poppins, right. Yeah, that, I, I would appreciate a lot of that. Where it kills me and in, in this film there's a scene where i don't expect dwayne the rock johnson to wrestle an actual jaguar in a bar but then there's like a scorpion on the floor and then a tarantula there and they're fake you know what i mean mm-hmm. you can't get like a, just a real scorpion walking up to him he doesn't even have to be in the shot if you're that's what you're worried about like i don't know what the deal is but they, they just look they don't have no volume to them so they move funky yeah but I guess that is what it is. We'll, we'll a little bit more on that here in a, in a bit, but great, great, great choice. Yeah. Number two. I think that's a pretty, that's a well cast movie as well. Yeah. Number two for me, mm-hmm. uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. I'm going old school Disney, uh, Kirk Douglas and Mr. James Mason. He'd be drinking a lot of the, I'm James Mason. I'm the mm-hmm. captain Nemo. And I need to go fight this giant squid outside of the Nautilus. Oh no. I seem to have pissed myself. Oh, so good. <laughs> Vincent Price Saturday Night Live skits. Perpetually drunk James Mason. But yeah. there's something kind of fun about that original 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea based on Jules Verne's uh, uh, novel, which I actually like a lot of those Jules Verne, uh, like H.G. Wells. Like that era of like science fiction, like it was, is kind of cool to me. And then that uh, Nautilus that they use actually ended up in Disneyland when it, uh, when it opened as kind of part of the lagoon there uh, with the... The submarine. It was kind of a part of it for a, for a, a good while. I think that's a kind of fun movie. I think Kirk Douglas is really good in that as well. And there's something interesting and kind of uh, endearing about 40s, 50, maybe not 40s. I don't know when they really fully got it, but 50s, 60s, 70s live action Disney. Whether that's Black Hole, you mentioned bed knobs and broomsticks and uh, Mary Poppins. I think that there's just something like really cool about a lot of those live action fare. Yeah. So that's my number two. Mr. Stealing Thunder. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to call you Thor. Okay. Thor the Thief. Yeah. You just said it. It's the black hole at number two for me. Excellent. I still love that. I had the cards for that film. Mm. Trading cards. Uh, it was a little bit ahead of its time. It's wildly miscast with some of the characters that are in there. Um, Do you think that film is, uh, So I think that's 79. Yeah. It is. Is that Disney's like, oh my God, Star Wars is a huge hit. We need to do a space movie now. And that's like, that was their answer. <laughs> yeah, I think it works. If you look at the robot droids, mm-hmm. they essentially play the role of R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. It came up in my thought process this week. I think I might revisit it with uh, my family and see what the little one thinks. That's got to be on Disney+. Plus. has to be. I'm sure it is. Anthony Perkins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Slim Pickens. Great yep. great cast in that one as well. Interesting. James Mason's not in that movie, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no. So there you go. Number two is The Black Hole. My number one, and uh, really piggybacking on what we're discussing today, it's Pirates of the Caribbean, the first, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, for a franchise that instantly jumps the shark in the second entry and then is just perpetually lost at sea, I really wow, re- look at you, Mr. Metaphor. That was good. <laughs> I really, really liked that first one. And I think that was like, so I was like 
12 when that came out. My family had just gone to Disneyland that summer that that had come out. So I'm perfect. I was like, we had been on the ride 10 times, like <laughs> with the, uh, the films coming out, it's got some tie-ins to the ride. It's really good. And that was like, that was like maybe my first taste of Johnny Depp. I hadn't really, I was still kind of young. I hadn't really dived into like Ed Wood or like scissor hands or <laughs> not fear and loathing yet. So I hadn't yeah. really got into the caricature that like is a lot of his career. And I think he's pretty okay in that first movie, and it becomes a lot more of in the sequels. Hey, everyone really liked what you did in that one. We need more of it and more over the top with it. Where in that one, it's it's pretty contained and it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, so I'm going to go with that first one. If, if that was their idea to take a ride and put it into film form and make it a swashbuckling, swashbuckling adventure, I think they succeeded on all fronts. That's a very fair case that you've made. Yeah. All right. Um, that is... For me, mm-hmm. doesn't make my list. Mm-hmm. But as far as Depp goes, that's about the last good thing that I saw him in. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair case too. From that, we're getting into just every appearance on film is going to be mm-hmm. stage play in heavy yeah. makeup, yeah. from Tonto to yeah, Mordecai <laughs> to Mordecai to was that the um, demon barber of Seville? What the hell? Oh, is Sweeney that? Todd. There you go, Sweeney well, then Todd. He did Dark Shadows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. So my. Number one's going to be pretty contemporary. This might surprise you. Okay. Very contemporary. It's Cruella. Bad. Two months ago. <laughs> I don't like origin stories because they yeah. tend to be prequel-like. We've talked about that ad nauseum, so I'm not going to break that down again. Yeah. I caught another third of that about a week and a half ago. It just happened to be on and um, sat down and watched it. A lot of it is Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. It's really well acted. I love the bratty British punk pseudo feel that's done in the fashion world that has such a great, rich, edgy tone, but not edgy and it put it over the top to where kids don't want to watch it. I think that's what I liked about it too was the fashion environment. It was it felt a little different. Isn't that odd? That's mm-hmm. what we both liked. Mm-hmm. Are you a fashionista? I'm not, but I liked it because it was different. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not more of the same. I think I could probably watch. So t- to answer your question, maybe I found the one that I wouldn't mind seeing again okay. in the theater. That might be Cruella. Number one nice. with a bullet. Cruella. Well, they, I think they greenlit a, a sequel that they're, they're going to do. So we'll have to kind of see how they follow up that one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Let's sleeping Dalmatians lie, everybody. <laughs> wow. Leave that sequel idea in Davy Jones's locker. There you go. Here's All right. You. Here is drink to your list. Here's two. A drink to your list. Drink to your leg. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Let's get right into it with our review breakdown of Jungle Cruise. If you look to the left of the boat, you'll see some very playful toucans. They're playing their favorite game of beak wrestling. The only drawback is only two can play. There's two birds and those are two cans and saying there's only two can play. Not one, but two can play. The rocks you see here in the river are sandstone, but some people just take them for granted. It's one of my bolder attractions. You know, before this, I used to work in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. Couldn't concentrate. Yeah, they put the squeeze on me too. That's a good one. I should have opened with that one. You know, they say the boa constrictor right there is capable of eating up to 500 pounds per sitting. Personally, I find that very hard to swallow. Mommy, can you please make him stop? No one can. 
And don't interrupt me like that again. I will feed you to the boa. She is a small child. You love small children. Best part of the movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the ride. That's like when you get on... Okay, so just... 2021's Jungle Cruise is based on the Walt Disney ride attraction, Jungle Cruise, which when you get on the ride, it's such a simple ride with these animatronics that have been redone, but they're in the mechanisms from like 19, like when Disneyland opened everybody, like this has been, ride has been there like for 50, 70 years. It's not amazing. You just kind of sit and watch these things move a little bit from left to right and up and down. And then your tour guide tells these types of jokes. They just, they're just they're groaners. You know what I mean? Uh, I appreciated that. That's a nice kind of just tie. And I know the whole film can't be that because I, I don't think I could sit through two hours of that. But I liked this. I liked this part of the film. I love that that was celebrated in it too. Mm-hmm. The Eighth Wonder of the World, The Backside of Water. And so good, yeah. All of that stuff that's the shtick in the ride. Yeah. Somehow, which I think is what's the crown jewel in that ride. Mm-hmm. For sure, right? Yeah. That made it into the film, and that's such an important piece. I love that they included it. And to The Rock's credit, he's, uh, he's got I think he's good at it. deadpan, perfect, mm-hmm. balls-on, accurate. Yeah, he's really good at it. Really good, accurate. Let's start at the beginning, though, because that's like 10, 12 minutes into the film. So we actually start out with... Uh, you have to help me out with some names here. Dr. Louis, uh, Lily Houghton and her brother McGregor as they're presenting to the Royal Society, uh, kind of almost looking like they're looking for money to go investigate. And they're looking for this flower. This is, uh, I'm trying to look for the name of it here because it's it's escaping me now. But it's it's a flower that blooms under, it's mm-hmm. may as well be wolfbane that blooms when the full moon is. <laughs> is blooming, but they want it for scientific research. She's into botany and they want to use it to help cure diseases and whatnot. So there's your kind of your goal for, for her character is for scientific gain and for study. Where did this kind of opening scene gets kind of really crazy is kind of in the whole kind of zany, almost uh, Rube Goldberg like way she's able to dispatch with a lot of these people. It reminded me a lot of, and I draw, drew a lot of comparisons to this film while watching it, which was the 1999's uh, Mummy with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, where she's almost clumsy, clumsy in that film to the point of being helpful and being able to dispatch all these people. She's not physically able to, but like she's able to to do that with her wits and her and her way. And I saw a lot of that in here, and. Okay, so then I was like, okay, so if Rock's you prefer that kind of female to the Karen Allen Andy? Oh, yo, absolutely. You like that more? (laughs) All right, so there's there's one in the column of success for Jesse. But I don't know if it's success. It's just it's almost so ridiculous. Like I I I appreciate a kind of a good little action bit, and when she's kind of like on that ladder and kicking away, and like things are falling, it's almost things are happening by happenstance. It's just almost borders on too ridiculous. So then I get into a tonal question. I'm like, okay, so are mm-hmm. we, are we this more, are we trying to be more comedic? Are we going for serious? And then it gets a little murky in the middle. And I'm like, is this a fantasy or mm-hmm. is this an adventure? Because mm-hmm. this almost feels like, I'm throwing a lot of films out here. So I want you to jump right in here after this. This feels very African queen like John Houston. And Dwayne Johnson's even dressed like Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart is yeah. in that film. So I'm getting a little bit from that. I'm getting a little bit of the mummy. But then, obviously, you're doing kind of an Indiana Jones-like thing. And, of course, I'm thinking of, of Uncharted, but these kind of looking for lost relics and whatnot. So where do you kind of line in on that? What is this? What do you think this film is? Tomb Raider. Oh, there's uh, I forgot another one. There you go. No, I'm on the same path that you are with these comparisons you're drawing. Mm-hmm. 
you can't look at it and not see that there's pirates like moments in there. There are African queen moments in there and it's mostly the rocks attire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the boat. We, oh, sorry. Yeah. The boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say it's reheated because it's not, but I think in some ways it has a bit of a TV dinner like effect to it. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is, so I don't want to say these are leftovers, yeah. But if you take the TV dinner and the compartmentalization of the food in it, you throw it in the oven and you warm it up. And as long as you don't set your face on fire with the nuclear cherry pie that they have in the middle (laughs) of that TV (laughs) dinner, right? That's lava disguised as cherry pie. Uh I guess it's palatable enough, but familiar. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what it's going to be. I know what that Salisbury steak is going to taste like. I know how those mashed potatoes with that fake butter are going to be. I love how Salisbury steak is just perpetually TV dinner. Isn't it? I know. (laughs) And it's familiar. Yeah. When you put all of these different films and recognizable moments from them together in this film, it creates a familiar playing field that might be necessary because if you're basing the ride into, or if you're basing the film on the ride, mm-hmm. there's not really a whole lot to it other than, and this is kind of what was a bit troubling for me, the con artist piece mm. that the tour guides give you with the one-liners. If he's that, and in so doing, again, stealing from another film, has a monkey that's a thief and goes through the handbags and takes people's possessions, and then she's got to reclaim it from him. We're talking about an entirely different movie, but that's... Are that, you saying there's the, not a lot of um, fertile ground to build a story from with Jungle Cruise other than just location. So you're saying the con artist piece doesn't quite work for you? No, or? it does. I think that's what I sort of expected him to be, and he certainly has that. Like, mm-hmm. he's... He's a hustler. A showmanship. Yeah, because yeah. like the way Kiki's kind of going on here, we're going to find out later what he's really doing on these jungle cruises, but really trying to like, you know, get money. And I I kind of thought, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of not a, not a great guy. I mean, he's he's not willing to take the, the charter because the price ain't right. He doesn't want to deal with any of this stuff. He kind of doesn't seem very heroic in, in that regard until he kind of catches a glimpse of that arrowhead uh, pendant. Disney has a weird take on The Rock right now. If you take this role Mm -hmm. and then you take the role that he played in Moana, Mm. I I don't want to say anti-hero because that's way more edgy than either of these, but they see him as a bit selfish. I like that. And for what we know with The Rock, and I love The Rock mostly, uh, he has a few misses here and there, but yeah. I love The Rock mostly, and I mostly like him when he's partnered with Kevin Hart. He's a very capable, yeah. or even with Jason Statham. Yeah, um, we could go on and on with who, like he plays really well with someone. The question for me was going to be, okay, is Emily Blunt going to be enough? And you know, she's had a pretty good summer too. I think they're good together, and I this, think they are as well in this film. I think that's one of the strengths of it, uh, along with maybe some of the misses, is. They're good on screen together. There's kind of a nice pitter-patter banter between them back and forth. She kind of ribs him a lot, calls him Skippy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And he kind of gives it back to her right. a little bit. So that's that's African queen people, though. Exactly. Like, that's Catherine Hepburn. And I, I'm telling you right now, I'd pref- I actually, you can bury me in film jail if you want to, but I prefer Emily Blunt to Catherine Hepburn. Just oh, not, yeah. not in acting talent, but just in my tolerance <laughs> level. The Fliberty gibbet. 
busy, busy body. You, maybe we'll do bringing up baby someday. And we it's will. just too much. It's almost yeah. like, it's just like, I like, I need something to like sedate me when I watch one of those movies, but just cause I can't, I can't take in all the her information. It's just too much. If you take Catherine Hepburn's affect on screen, yeah. where it really works is for me when she's got the straight man of Jimmy Stewart in Philadelphia story, but then also the cerebral, I don't want to say rival, but maybe that's what we'll go with rival of Cary Grant in the same film. Uh, He's able to destroy the ice queen in that movie capably. And I think that that's where you might. And I also see it not work with Hepburn. We're talking like, if you take bringing up baby Mm -hmm. Grant Hepburn, and then you take um, Philadelphia story, Stuart Grant and Hepburn. Yeah. Bringing up baby gets accolades poured on it over and over and over again. Philadelphia story is way better. That's a much more enjoyable film. But Emily Blunt doesn't bring that to this with The Rock, and that's refreshing because that becomes oppressive when Hepburn's in full Hepburn. Yeah, yeah. And Humphrey Bogart's not up for the challenge. Because <laughs> he's No, it's he, fair, yeah. I mean, he's like in the process of also dying as well. When he made yeah, literally. That, when he made that film. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have someone who can spar with Hepburn. But when you do, you get a film like Philadelphia story that's absolutely brilliant. That's mm-hmm. a great rom-com that's way ahead of its time screwball mm-hmm. comedy yes we got to cover some of those one of these days that one like you you always talk about the awful truth that'd be a good one to throw in there are you presenting me the opportunity for a grant cast yeah good can be carry grant cast oh my goodness there you go um so yeah so th- i think that's refreshing i think their interactions on screen are, are, are really good they're good together um and it's not a uh, overpowering uh so let's let's talk a little bit about the just the, the plot because I thought the plot was maybe kind of confusing <laughs> yes. a little bit. Yes. Let's talk about it before the kind of the, the twist that's given to us about halfway through, because okay. I'm going to play some sound for us. And, and I, I have a bit of a, a take on that, but let's just kind of talk about here in its opening inception. We have brother and sister, uh, botany students, archaeologists of sorts are looking for this tree to get this leaf of this flower to cure diseases, cure the ails of mankind. Enter Jesse Plemons playing Joachim. Uh, he's a German prince uh, who's it's, it may as well just may as well just be Raiders of the Lost Ark now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Nazis looking for the Ark so that they can. And this is set during World War One as well. I think that's kind of just barely mentioned. I think there's a title card that says two in, years into the war. Am I making that up? Mm-mm. I think it, mm-hmm. it is. So they're looking for this obviously for some war gaining right to yep. like get an upper advantage on your enemies. So here he is in his all his regalia, and he's going to be kind of the enemy. So it becomes kind of a race, uh, and this is again what reminds me about the mummy. You have warring archaeological factions to find uh, King uh, Prince Imhotep's tomb mm-hmm. in the mummy. Uh, so who's going to get there first? Mm-hmm. Who are we, we got to charter? We got to charter someone who's going to uh, know something about it. Uh, so enter Dwayne the Rock Johnson here as as Frank. And we kind of get that little banter there with, uh, with uh, I mentioned my favorite part, because it does play so heavily into the right experience. Mm-hmm. That opening kind of five minutes he has with this kind of opening charter is like being on the Jungle Cruise ride. They even, 
uh, kind of uh, the, the the natives, quote unquote, the natives that come and attack yeah. them are all set up, yeah. and that's kind of the last part of the ride. Like they come out and like blow blow darts at you and like like <laughs> shake a spear at you. <laughs> uh, so I I really like that they played into that a bit. Uh, but once we get back to land, you know, we kind of we kind of see the Frank that I kind of was sold to me was kind of almost like a shyster mm-hmm. con man. He even cons like a beer, but he like kicks a table, grabs a beer, and then like, ah, and he kind of like, to, he kind of starts joking with the guy so he doesn't get caught that he stole the beer. Right. And he doesn't want to do this charter because he's done all these other charters. But when he catches a glimpse of that arrowhead pendant, he's like, wait a minute. And we don't know why he's acting. Now he's even lowering the price. She's offering, I think, ten or $15,000. And wow, that's a nice chunk of change for him. Paul Giamatti's rival charter is going to offer 50000 And he's like, I'll take it down to 2000 because that's the clue I've been waiting for. Yep. And that's what Emily Blunt stole in that crazy hijinks, uh, Rube Goldberg, <laughs> victim of circumstance, uh, thievery scene in mm-hmm. the opening sequences. So all the pieces are there. So now we have him on the charter and we're off on the on the Amazon here. We're in Brazil. <laughs> So that's kind of the opening kind of setting the stage of what this plot's going to be. It's a race to get to the tree. Uh, what we kind of think, does that, is that working for you? Because I think that works for me in this initial inception. Yeah, it's working for me, but I want to psychoanalyze you for a minute. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great, right? <laughs> Mr. Freud. Yeah. As a fan of Raiders. Hang on a second. Yeah, go ahead. Did you know there's a Sigmund Freud movie where Montgomery Clift played Freud? What? Yeah, exactly. It was on the Criterion channel. I was thumbing through it, and it was directed by John Huston, uh, Montgomery Clift as Freud, and I was like, oh, I got to check that out. That sounds wild. Is this post-stroke auto accident, or is this pre-stroke I don't have auto a, accident? I don't have a year for you, but I had never heard of this movie before. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I'll do some digging. I'll do some research on that, but that sounds wild. We might have to do that. Okay. Yeah. Because there's, wow. a, there's a whole John Huston like, collection mm-hmm. on Criterion channel right now, and that was one of them. And I was like, I've never heard of this movie before. <laughs> so you're just throwing out casks left I and right know, today, know. Mr. John Houston. Cast the, the gift that keeps on giving. Mm. <laughs> so we could do well, that and uh, Chinatown and Sierra Madre. Well, you know how much I love Treasures Sierra Madre. The, do. This movie. <laughs> okay, so yeah, in that perfect segue. Yeah. As someone who loves Raiders, yes, is this Arrowhead and now the key that? opens the doorway to the well of yeah. souls at high noon with the perfect amount of sunshine. It's very similar. <laughs> Did you find that to be too theft worthy to appreciate or were you able to be immersed in the movie enough to not go, come on, man, can't you come up with a single original dish on this TV dinner? I think I was thinking of those other, I think I was thinking of African queen more and mm-hmm. a few other films than Raiders. But now that you bring it up, yeah, it's it's quite obviously the same thing. It's it's uh, it's Marion's pendant mm-hmm. that's gonna burn into Tot's hand, and yeah. then also be the indicator for the Well of the Souls, where we're gonna find the location of the Ark of the Covenant. So, yeah, we're kind of piecemealing every other great adventure uh, swashbuckling film and putting it into this one. But in in initial viewing, it wasn't distracting for me because it was. It's probably not the inciting incident, but it is the kickstart that's going to get us moving on the boat down the river, which is where we want to be. We don't want to be hanging out here in land. The movie's called Jungle Cruise. We want to be cruising on the jungle. God, you just brought up something I hadn't even considered. Mm. What is the inciting incident? Her pitch to her, the rock her, on, like, are you going to take me on this um, 
voyage? That seems pretty late for an inciting incident. I would yeah. want to say it's the theft of the the thing. The thing is that or yeah. Beat wise, that almost feels like the opening to character for her. But mm-hmm. thank you. Mm, interesting. Because you're right. If not, it would be the pitch to the rock and then getting him on board to, you know, the call to adventure, the call to arms. You know, you said murky. Yeah. The middle of this film is murky. Yeah. The middle of this film is murky because the tough part to get through is in any script is the middle, middle of the second act. Yeah. With you know, his, act two, just in general, okay, I fair. think is, is brutal. When we write, I think that's my least favorite part because... <laughs> That's 60 pages of 120, yeah, yeah. the half of because it. Because we're, we're really good at crafting those beginnings, and that we really like wrapping things up. But, like, we get into the middle, and we're just like, oh, my God. Like, like we still have to, like, come up with, like, the characters still have to do things and interact. And it can be challenging sometimes. And I think they also ran into some challenge. Those five writers in the writer's room ran into some, I think, some speed bumps. Using the examples you just said in the word murky. Mm-hmm. You and I have been in the writer's room plenty together with this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. And we have the same vision of what the story is. And we inevitably run into those hurdles in the second act time and time and time and time again. And that's just the nature of the second act. The murkiness is probably a result of that many heads and that many visions of what the film is all trying to come to some coalescence of where we're going to go to get to crisis conflict resolution I do think, though, it's an indication that maybe that murkiness was going to happen if you and I are both struggling a little bit to pinpoint the exact inciting incident, because that's a pretty easy moment. Think about that. And again, I don't want everyone to go back to Ghostbusters, but we spoke about that quite a bit. No, go back to Ghostbusters. Essentially, the inciting incident is when your protagonist is metaphorically standing before the line that starts the voyage. Are Imagine, we, are we not or not going to create this business? Yeah, we're going to. We're going to. Boom, yeah. it, boom, we're off. <laughs> and that's the inciting incident? Yeah. I don't know, Jesse. I don't know either. So that murky is a kind way to put this, I think. It does I'm not it doesn't derail the film. Like this is not a disaster on high for me. I'm not going to say that. I'll, I'll derail this a little bit later. <laughs> but at least, not, <laughs> at least not yet for me until you maybe talk me into it. Yeah. But look, dude, I mean, here we are struggling with inciting incidents and we still have the midpoint of the second act to get through. What about when we're, okay, so let's get on the river. We're on the Amazon River, river now. There was a, yeah. this is such a, a little segue, but Oregon Trail, you remember that game, right? Mm-hmm. Dying of dysentery and whatnot. That I think there was a spinoff game. It wasn't called Amazon Trail, but it was like a game like the Amazon, and you had like a little raft, and you had to like go down the river, and you could tip over, and you could die. Like it was like a '90s Microsoft game, hmm. and it reminds me a lot of of this. It reminds me of an Anaconda. Mm. Oh, let me bring another. Wow. Let me bring another movie into the fold. My here. goodness, yeah. Uh, Babies. <laughs> John Voight should be in this movie. Uh, what do you think? Like, I think, you know, when they're on the river and, you know, the rocks kind of, we felt to mention too, his con artist, Jaguar, Proxima? Mm-hmm. Proxima Midnight. Midnight. <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's essentially gets him uh, the job. It, it scares Paul Giamatti out of the bar and he's able to wrestle it out. Now, <sighs> Well, Disney always needs the animal, you know what I mean? Like, the animal sidekick is always just, like, a thing that they have in a lot of their films. It's dueling narratives. If you're on the river, you're going to... Con- okay, if we're just traveling down the river, let's go back to your mm-hmm. metaphor for the 90s video game. Okay. 
your voyage down the river is naturally going to come is going to have you come into some opposition with creatures that are germane to the river. Some hippos, some aborigines that are trying to poison dart you to death that are not paid off with your little scam that you had in your jungle cruise days. The rapids, just the nat the natural things, heat, cold, then can you steer the boat? Mm-hmm. Who's the captain? There's even some comedic stuff you could play with there. My boat, your boat. Like that stuff's already built into it. I I get that you're in a jungle. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're in a jungle. Jungle cruise. Mm-hmm. Jungles often have apes and tigers and lions and Bears. plenty of <laughs> well <laughs> bagheras. Yeah. To take Proxima mm-hmm. and put it on the boat as the rock's loyal dog is so distracting and ends up being an easy way to not naturally take advantage of the setting that you're on, which is the river. It's kind of lazy. If you need a scene that's broken, here comes Proxima with like a growl. And they they use Proxima as kind of a thieving comedic relief element in this film Mm -hmm. several times. You're struggling now to find your footing on the river in the boat. Haha. Find your oars in the river on the boat because you're choosing to drive this Lamborghini, which is this cat, this big naturally hunting cat when you're on a boat. Um, I hadn't thought about it till you just brought it up right now. That's a pretty big mistake and it's going to be CGI. So that's also like, uh, it kind of has the, it's distracting. Well, it, it's just, yeah, like I said, I don't expect actors to interact with their live, untamable jungle cat. Uh, so obviously this was a, a CGI uh, thing here. But yeah, it lacks the volume. And then the way it's used, like they could play more into the con artist, but that's almost going to go out the window here in a second. It's gone. It's, it's gone once we're on the river because the rock's focus has changed. Uh, but... They do interact a little bit with some kind of jungly. They have they have <laughs> piranha dinner. Yeah. Uh, they have some other you know kind of encounters. I like the little rapids. Kind of it was almost a little ridiculous when they're like on teetering on the edge and they're able to kind of get over it to go the other way. But I thought that was fairly exciting. But yeah, I feel like they could use the animal element a little bit more. The the snakes. The the way the element. Oh my god. Oh, let's just oh, we're going there. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> drink, Let's do it. Drink up. You're ready. All right. The way the animals are kind of utilized in this thing is part of the plot in the form of the antagonist, literally in the form of the antagonist. So Jesse Plemons, uh, Prince Yokim goes to, uh, I gotta, I gotta look up where they, where they went. Oh goodness. Hang on one second. He goes and revives these mm-hmm. frozen conquistadors. Conquistadors, yeah. Yes. There's three of them. Yep. Vine conquistador, bee conquistador, and snake conquistador. Right. And 
the, we don't know why yet. We're going to get all the what's revealed to us here. But I was like, oh, my God, what the hell's happening? And this is pretty ridiculous now. Like, I thought this was just like a Tomb Raider. Davy Jones' acolytes from Pirates. That's exactly what they look like. All crusty and crustacean. Calypso and all those, yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, like, what, what type of movie is this turning into? Because I thought we were just on a cruise looking for an artifact and we're in a race to get there. No, these vine people come to life and then they start just like, they become almost like the the... the the, the enforcers, the enforcers, the henchmen yeah. of, of Prince Joachim of Prince Joachim. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh goodness, what's happening here. And then when we get to the tribe and so this is uh Dwayne Johnson's like little faux tribe here, uh, trader Sam. I like that little also tied to the ride. Yeah. Uh, so th- they think they're in mortal danger and, and Dwayne Johnson's like, he's like, she's like, no, he's trying to like get them out of here because it's going to blow his cover up. How like what a con man he is. Right. And that's all interrupted by these three guys that come in a CGI mamasma of BS that, you know, do away with them. And they kind of do a fun, you know, they're swinging from vines and they're trying to get out of here. And we're, the audience has got to be like, what the hell are these things? And what is even happening here? And then the rock is fatally wounded. He is stabbed through his heart with a sword, a spirally sword, a conquistador blade. Mm-hmm. And plummets 300 feet down to not before hitting three or four logs and a large boulder on on the thing and so matt you know where i'm going with this i'm Mm -hmm. like he's dead no human could survive that not only has he been pierced through his heart but he smashed his head on a boulder i don't know if people haven't fallen down recently but that's gonna kill you yes cut to the next day and they scare off the the vine and beat keys to doors they scanter off into the into the wilderness i'm still wondering what the hell is going on here and then we get the revelation and matt i gotta i just i have to i just you gotta let me have this for a second i'm gonna play the clip uh and then and then we'll talk about it the name's actually francisco francisco lopez de heredia and i'm roughly 400 years old what? I know it's a lot to take in. I will explain to you the entire There's no story. Blood in you. Are you a ghost? No, it's complicated. But uh, cl- clearly, you're you're not a human. Okay, but it's very hard to focus when I have a sword impaled in my heart. Trader Sam, I need you to come and pull. Vampire? I told you last time, I'm done pulling weapons. Okay, if you're listening in the car with your kids right now, you need to skip ahead 15 seconds because I just got to say this. Oh boy. But what in the almighty fucking fuck? Is this doing in the movie? Why was this the revelation crux to make his character a cursed 400-year-old individual who is not only uh, tied into these other conquistadors? Why? I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And to steal your thunder a little bit, had it not been for the podcast, this is a turnoff moment for Jesse. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't believe that the, the film would even go here because it didn't need to go here. He's just Frank, the guy in the boat who's not kind of good at his job. And he maybe has some skills. He's good in some fisticuffs, but he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have quite the intellect. You already have an interesting character there. Who's a bit of a con man and a shyster. Now you turned him into a 400 year old walking curse. Immortal. Oh, <laughs> all right. Let me, let me fuel your fire. Yeah. I'm going to really spin you out. Go ahead. Yeah. Did you by chance look at the timestamp when that happened in the film? Are we about, no, I think, I think I did. I think this is 48 minutes, 50 minutes in. 
out of a two-hour-long film? 210. Okay, Jesse. Yeah. So I'm going to see your frustration, and I'm going to elevate it now by giving you The Strangers. What's my big argument oh, yeah. against The Strangers? That they pop in and pop out. <laughs> the, the movie's defanged 10 minutes in because you already know they can breach the threshold of the house and get in, so the rest of the movie I don't care about. This film's defanged as well. Right. How can your your main character... Is immortal. Is not going to die. I don't worry about him anymore because he can't die. Huge miss. Huge miss. Yeah. Let me give you another one. Isn't these conquistadors that are embodiments of the power of the mystic forces of the jungle as vines and bees and snakes very similar to the first Jumanji with a rock? There you go, yeah. Mm-hmm. How many things are we going to not be original in the the unveiling on the silver screen in this film? How many times are we going to do that Yeah, before you are just at the point where you are right now? Yeah. I guess for you, it was at 48 minutes when you said, that's enough. I just, if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have turned it off. Oh, I just, I just couldn't believe, well, part of my brain was already kind of in defensive mode because I was like, How they, I know The Rock ain't dead because he's going to show up in the rest of this movie. So he somehow survives this fall. I'm calling bullshit on that. And then the answer to that was he's dead or he's not dead. He may as well be dead. 400 years old and he's had a curse placed on him. And then, so then we get into the, the, what type of film is this? Is this a fantasy? Is this an adventure? I thought we were just on a little swashbuckling boat ride uh, to get an artifact. And now it is so ridiculous. I want to remind everybody that this is the pursuit of a flower, which we can't remember the name of, Mm -hmm. that's going to have the power to cure the ails of mankind. And now it has evolved or maybe devolved in your opinion to the pursuit of, of mortality because you've been cursed with immortality. At the me- In the meantime, our Prince Joachim's acolytes, bee, vine, and snake guy, mm-hmm. conquistadors, mm-hmm. looking for the flower to rid themselves of the same thing? <sighs> and maybe the answer isn't even that important. Maybe the bigger question is, do you care? I, I don't mean you. Like, I don't mean that as like the royal we. I mean, as I mean the audience. The papal we. <laughs> Do we care? I know. I don't, I don't care. I don't care anymore. Like, this, this, this is a moment where you say, damn realism. And you can have your fantasy and, and I raise you a drink and I'll indulge in that too. But this is that's such, not this movie. Yeah, this, that's not this film. This is such a jumping off point. And then what we find out is he was one of these cursed conquistadors. Uh, that, that it all started out with good intentions to cure a, a sick, ailing daughter. And then they get wrapped up in this whole curse thing. And then they turned to stone and the rock was left, not rocked, <laughs> uh, everyone else. Uh, so he built this village. He built the boat. He built, he's had all these animal companions over 400, 400 years. Yeah, 400 years. That was like in the 1500s. <laughs> So he built like the, this, this little shipping thing here and in the hopes of being able to find the flower. So through 400 years, he hasn't been able to find this thing on all his faux jungle cruises until he finds the amulet that's going to be the key to get him and into And she this. stole in five minutes flat to start the movie. Yeah. But I think you po- you touched on the biggest miss for me, which is when you enter in a writing room backed in the corner moment where th- this is a moment where we're like, oh my God, we have this. We somehow plummeted the character 
the, the, the 300 feet to the ground. Mm-hmm. How is he alive? Oh, we'll just put a curse on him, and he's just the walking alive dead. With a sword in him, by the way. The biggest miss, though, is there's no more suspense on his character. He can essentially drown. Yep. He could probably burn. get mauled by a jungle cat. He can burn. He can get buried in quicksand. Nothing going forward is going to destroy this character. So then are we buying in on the Emily Blunt character? A little bit, but this is so, it's so distracting. I, could, I couldn't believe that the film went here. Like, it's so ridiculous. You have to shift your focus in the film, which this movie put The Rock as center billing for a reason. You have to take that attention that you've given to him for 50 minutes in the film, trying to find pieces in him that make you care and create a small relationship for a two-hour period and immediately divorce yourself from that and now put all of that attention on Emily because she's the one who's really in peril because she can die. Boy, that's a big ask, especially when we're already dealing with the mystical element of a flower and a ride that's essentially a bunch of one-liners. I'm going to use another word, the word you already uh, murky. It's so murky right now. Yeah. The water's gray-brown. <laughs> So now we have that revelation bestowed to us. So now we're still in a race to get to our location. Yokim abducts, uh, what's the brother's name? Yeah, um, I have it up here. Go ahead. McGregor. McGregor. Yeah, he abducts him, and then they kind of all convene at the same location. Then we get into a bit of an action or an, uh, a moment here that I thought was kind of exciting because I'm always interested in like water sequences and. A, how they film them, and B, how I lack the power to see underwater when all film characters are able... The Rock's, like, giving her, like, hand signals and gestures on what to do. And I'm like, how the hell are you going to see that with your eyes open? And not only... It's not even, like, salt water. You're talking about, like, Amazon, like, <laughs> like brown water. You're just jealous because you don't have webbed feet, Kevin Costner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes. How uh, do you see no, that? I'm just wondering. I'm just as, like, they make the actors open their eyes because no one wants to see a closed-eyes actor underwater. That's got to suck. I love that of all the preposterous moments that we've brought up so far, this one just occurred, which is there's no visibility in water, damn it. Well, I'm just saying, like, when I open my eyes underwater, you know what happens? My eyes burn. You see about a foot in front of you. I see nothing. I can't see. (laughs) He's doing, like, almost sign language under there, and I'm like, I would never be able to see what he was telling me, and I would probably drown in this embankment thing. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, she gets kind of trapped in there, and so they got to kind of share breaths, and, you know, you just kind of see, now that he's dead, like, now there's, like, this romantic attraction to him, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) The immortal man with the heart, with the... She, conquistador sword in him. Yeah, she almost hates him for the first half of this film. And then once he bestows that revelation on her, she's like, oh my God, I'm like in love with this man now. Uh, they're able to open this thing, but then the sub submerges. So everyone's here all at once. That was really tough for me. Yeah. When well, Prince Joaquin's sub shows up, yeah. this little boat, the Orca, <laughs> is toast, man. Mm-hmm. Not I, I get that he's immortal, but the boat isn't. That sub is going to run through that little tiny mm-hmm. Shantate boat like a hot knife through butter, and it's significantly faster. Yeah. Why does it have to be a sub? So, I mean, think about this. You have It feels Nazi-like, especially in the context of Prince Joachim and the era that it's set. Now we've added 
undying conquistador mysticized jungle monsters. Well, this is essentially just What is going oh. It's essentially just last crusade now right. like, you know, you have the Germans looking for the grail because it's going to bestow to them immortality for the Third Reich. And then, I thought Black Pearl. This to me feels like Black Pearl and Davy Jones. At this point, I'm like, you just remade this movie too. Well, yeah, and Black Pearl, they're you know they're trying to like you know become all human again and like in in the in the thing. So, uh, but we finally find the tree, and it's this big, huge, sprawling oak. And this reminded me a lot of Tomb Raider. The first, can you believe this? The Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of that for some reason. But then, as the moon passes over, kind of the the cenote embankment at the at the top, it all starts blooming, and we're like, "Oh my god! Like it's happening! Like they found it! Everyone's mm-hmm. found it! Everyone gets, you know what? At this point, Germans, you take a flower, Emily Blunt, you take a leaf, Rock, you take a leaf, and we'll all just go separate ways. Mm-hmm. But no, it go it all goes to hell. Like that, it's she shoots him to like create a distraction. So she could, they're like running on the branches so she can get a leaf while the rock just tries to dispose of the Germans. And you talk a lot on the podcast about like loss of gravity and like sense of space. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Blunt is running on these branches, like jumping from like limb to limb. Where are you at? Where's your headspace at? Is she's like just defying the laws of physics and just like trying to get to like a leaf before. Jesus, I hope there's one leaf left. The very last leaf <laughs> movies do that you know what i mean here's this tree that i assume has been around for eternity and as the moonlight leaves the tree the flowers die is this a in the moment of in the the multiple moments of eternity is are you happening to be there at the singular time when the moon at this particular moment is going to undo the eternity of flowering that this tree has provided and no one has found a way to harness yet. Let me ask you this. Maybe this escaped That's me. That's maddening to me. <laughs> Let me. This is escaping me. Is this the only time this has happened or does this happen like every full moon? That's what I'm asking. Okay. And if that's the case, then just wait it out. <laughs> just wait a I month. mean, the rock's been around for 400 years. What's another <laughs> month, right? Don't reflower. It's, so we have this, this makes it sound like it's like some sort of like total eclipse, and this is like a singular moment oh. where it only blooms the one time, and you better get your leaf while you can. Maybe somewhere in the dialogue or in the rocks, cap captain's quarters with his stash of maps, or somewhere embedded in the dialogue is a description of. Oh, we found out he drew the maps too. Uh, the frailty of this tree and how precious and limited the time of plumage is for these flowers maybe i don't care i'm not going to go back and watch it again that's far too into the story to to dig on something i really don't give a shit about i'm going to add to that as this chase is happening sans gravity and any sort of linear physical movement on these tree branches we're also in the midst of a chase with the mysticized jungle conquistadors trying to track them down so you are fighting off b-man as the moon is waning and the flowers are dying and at this point it's really okay for you to say what in the hell has (laughs) happened well you're right you know the the raiders thievery i guess is is in full force here because the 
Arrowhead locket contains a gem, and when the gem's placed in the tree is what makes it bloom. So no, no, okay. So this it's is the resurrection stone. I just answered my own question. Mm. This is, hasn't happened before because you need the gem to make the flowers bloom. Okay. All right, boy, they almost blew their chance here because they literally are like she's like like they're all dying because the moon's waxing and waning, and she's leaping and like just grab a leaf, man, and. They're all shriveling in one one little leaf. This is like the bomb being like diffused at one second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hollywood's got to get out of that trope. Mm-hmm. Like, man, like the bomb gets diffused, 30 seconds left. Hey, that's still pretty suspenseful, more realistic. Why did, everything doesn't have to be the la- very last thing and we're just on a thread. That's just... It, uh, it's played out. I haven't, I haven't lost my sense of magic. I still like magical things, but like, yeah, you're, it's so played out. Yeah. Prince Joachim's disposed by a boulder, crushing him into a jelly. Jesus, I mean, <laughs> this film had some pretty kind of raunchy joke when she's pulling the sword out of him, and she's like, "He's like, he's like, it's a little wavy, but the, the front end straight. Use one hand. Uh, you need to use two. Like they're just like making like all these hand job jokes. Right? <laughs> she's pulling like the sword out of him, and then the other guy's like, "Do you want me? You want me to get, get, get from the from behind?" <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, jeez, you're throwing all these crazy jokes in here, and then you're crushing this guy like the smithereens. I'm like, man, tonally, you're all over the all over all the place, over the place yeah. here. Boy, yes. But finally backed into a corner. Uh, we got one flower, and the rock is like, well, I'm gonna give you your opportunity to get out, and he kind of crashes his boat into the thing, and all the rest of the conquistadors like re-encapsulate into vine stone, and then he's pulled into that as well. And Turns into Stone Man again. Medusa. It's the Medusa effect of this film. So she uses her soul uh, little flower in him to bring him back because, like I said, there's like a bond now. So science and botany be damned. I'd rather have Frank here alive because this is what he searched for. That's a, I'm okay with that. That's that's poignant enough for me to say, okay, that's uh, that's all right. Yeah. He comes back, but then somehow there's another flower and he, she's, he's able to bestow that to her so that the research can continue. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, you wasted your moment. Do you like that? Do you like no, the, no. Frank turning to stone and then the flower in his mouth to turn to human again? I, no, I don't know when he found that other flower, but this is the problem with Frank is when at the 48 minute mark, we found out that he was immortal and then you didn't have to worry about him anymore. It ends up serving just as the premise of a really easy trope. We didn't really need to have that big chase then, did we, Jesse? Because if he had already grabbed a flower at some point we didn't see in the story, then all of that is rendered essentially useless, kind of like most of his story from 48 minutes going forward. Mm -hmm. They do redeem it a touch by putting the flower in his mouth and then being (laughs) reincarnated from Stone Man back into mortal in real time. But then we get the tropes of, everything that's Captain America to add another film and learning what life is like in Emily Blunt's modern world compared to riverboat guy and the isolation of 500 years or 400 years of looking for a flower. Yes. So yeah, he's, he's turned back to human mortal now, I imagine, right? He's going to die in 50 years. Sure. Uh, Takes him to London. Now he's ready to, learn the modern world. He'd been like sketching drawings. That was kind of a throwaway scene too, where she Mm -hmm. went down to his cabin Mm -hmm. and saw these sketches of like inventions and stuff. And 
kind of didn't go anywhere. And then here, kind of like three ten to Yuma. Yeah, it, and it, and here it's is yeah very Da Vinci like. It was like flying machines and whatnot. And he ends up back in London. He's in with the car, and then she's making the terrible jokes now. So we kind of wrap that up uh, mercifully. <laughs> I gotta ask you though: Did you stay for the the end credit sting? Mm-mm. No. So they they go on a little vacation. We find out they go to Switzerland, and you know they're sitting there like, and they're like, it's time for a vacation. And then the camera pulls back, and it's like, boom, Matterhorn Mountain. And then it, you hear this like. And then we cut to black. Oh, I didn't see. Really? No, I missed that. No, I just made that. No, up. I, I kind of like that though. <laughs> I made the movie better. You did. <laughs> the mm. Movie's not good mm. enough to have a twist like that. The swashbuckling duo continues their adventures through an amusement park disguised thus, as a movie. Thus would begin the Disney theme park cinematic universe: <laughs> the adventures of Frank and uh, Lily. Lily. Frank and Lily. <laughs> that would be a kind of a good ending. That's a great ending. Yeah. No, there's no end credit scene. It's just there's 20 minutes of credits. Just fade out. (laughs) There's thousands of digital artists we have to credit (laughs) for making all the the backgrounds and whatnot. But let's talk about some of those questions that you brought up earlier about the rewatchability of a lot of these films. Mm -hmm. And we're spending $200 to make Jungle Cruise. Jesus. Yeah. You know, right now, you know, it's being released on Disney Plus. It's in the theaters, you know, as they're kind of opening. But just in a regular non-pandemic year, this comes out. Uh, how many people are going to go more than twice to go take their family to see the Jungle Cruise? Probably not. So how, where's your ROI on, on this idea with a budget like that? E.T. is an exception because there wasn't. We say there's not a lot, but Poltergeist, the, there was films to see that mm-hmm. summer. Yeah, Rocky Three, Tootsie, uh, Rathacon, like there you had your fare, but people wanted to see ET because they really got into it. They mm. really liked it. They really liked seeing the first Spider Man and Titanic. And there's a replayability for our people to go see this. When you get a film like this and you you see these things and you're like, yeah, it was okay, but you've already said I'm not going to go back and watch it again. So. You're not going to buy it to own, so you're not there. The Disney's not getting the money on the, the home video market. You're not going into the theater to see it again, so they're not getting your ticket money again. How does how's this movie breaking even in a, in a good year? Yeah, that was one. I don't know. That's one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about way back when we did the show on this. We're going to do everything on demand and stream it. Mm-hmm. How are they going to monetize this? Now you've posed several times, and I think. As we move through this process, this gets to be a little bit more solidified week by week. They looked at their slate of stuff and said, man, miss, 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 miss. Let's just put it out. And that way, in a strange way, it's similar to that really bad B-talent action film that is straight to video. Mm. In a sense, this is A-talent action film also straight to video, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they might have surmised going in that there was going to be a limited amount of monetizable butts to put in seats because nine eyes, well, that would be someone who's missing an eye. So maybe like 10 eyes and a family on the streaming service that one person paid for does not translate into a one-for-one model that the theater system is used to. But the show must go on so we continue to churn them out 
I would imagine, I, I know you're looking up the numbers and we're going to come to what our bet, <laughs> our bet solution was here. Okay. The final totals on our bet from uh, Black Widow versus Jungle Cruise. They had to have known that this was going to happen, but I wonder if keeping something on Disney Plus mm-hmm. month to month is part of the economic model that is not, let's worrying about monetizing Jungle Cruise, but how we can keep people's subscriptions active in our streaming plan. Well, in that regard, I think HBO Max has the better model because oh, for sure. their releases are kind of built into your monthly subscription. It'd pay $30 to watch. <laughs> so uh, that's their, and you would think $30 and I get access to all the mm-hmm. premium content. No, you got to do it for each one. So when you think of when you go to the movies, it's, it equates properly, but yeah. still the idea of that, like HBO Max still has the better model because it's just part of your subscription service. Um, do you want me to look at just domestically or worldwide? I don't know. I'm going to do worldwide. That seems a little bit more fair. How much earlier was Black Widow released? Was it three, four weeks before Jungle Cruise was released? Like how much more time did it have to make money versus two weeks? Okay. Two. Okay. Okay. So we can come back to this again at the end of the month when they're kind of done. Okay. But right now you're sitting at 160 worldwide for Jungle Cruise Mm -hmm. and Black Widow is at 368 worldwide. Yeah. I think you probably got it. But you know, the one I think we did sleep on that we didn't even consider was Fast 9, 681 worldwide is actually beating both of them. So, uh, (laughs) <laughs> well, I think we have to take the numbers that your Black Widow is getting and consider the amount of money that Scarlett Johansson is going to get <laughs> from Disney and Marvel and the multiple lawsuits she has, and then temper this with like that return on investment being returned to Scarlett Johansson because, boy, are they at odds right now. Like yeah. She's done. She has no more projects. And did you see the DC News this week? They signed her. Did they? She's Scarlett Johansson is out of everything Marvel going forward, essentially over distribution of this film. And she she should, it kind of seems like she would be, I think her character's kind of wrapped up anyway. So it's a nice time to go out with a lawsuit money, but they made it Disney. I'm sorry. Well, Marvel Disney made a big deal about, yeah, she's out. We're not working with her anymore. And no sooner was that announcement made than DC and Warner brothers announced that we have her in fold for whatever. We'll take your scraps. That girl. (laughs) Yeah. Why not girl? She's whatever role she's going to play at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just the whole, that whole, it's all just, that'll all implode on itself. But once we get back to 2022 and just we have the strictly theatrical releases, I think we'll be, we'll be pretty okay. But can I tell you why I chose Jungle Cruise and what my thoughts on this were as your, why I chose this and no, when you, no, absolutely. Yeah. The rock in a summer movie mm-hmm. that has the backing of Disney behind it is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's... I'm going to add another element to this, which has to do with the store Hallmark. Mm. <laughs> Every year, Hallmark yeah, sells know, you know, Christmas you know, ornaments. I love those ornaments. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. We don't normally buy at first release. We wait till the season's over because mm. they're still new to us and they're like 70% off. When we get there, it's a third of the supplies are gone and it's what's left. The one that was left in abundance, the two that were left in abundance this last year were the Groot with Christmas lights all over him Mm. and none other than Natasha Romanoff. Oh, a Blackwood ornament. If that's a family endeavor, Jesse. Yeah. 
if no one's buying Black Widow's Christmas ornaments, it's because there's, and it speaks to the exhaustion. Yeah, and and in the context of Black Widow world, mm-hmm. she, I know she's been fine in the Avengers movies. Mostly, no one gives a shit about her in the in the Marvel pantheon. Well, we I mentioned too. I was like, no one's really reading like solo Black Widow comics. She's usually in the fold with yeah. a team or a team up or with Daredevil. <laughs> so I thought The Rock is one of the few going to make money on the movie by simply putting his name on the poster entities in Hollywood. No, you're right. Yeah. But it didn't seem like it panned on this one. I think it panned out on this one. No, I think I I probably would have been on board with that too. I guess also there was the Jungle Cruise moniker maybe being, that's not everyone's favorite ride at Disneyland. You know what I mean? So when it's getting its adaptation, it's just like, yeah, I guess. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, yeah, I guess feeling. This was Haunted Mansion. Holy shit. Like, <laughs> this would be like, just like biggest movie of the year, maybe. Like, did Murphy do that one, though? Yeah, I did. And they botched that. <sighs> they botched that. And then, the, like, the whole adapting the right thing just died at, with that film until this one finally. That shouldn't be a miss. No, that it should be that's, a that's, Disney that's, horror concept that's not with Eddie Murphy. That should be great. Should be great. Yeah. You got to find a way to revive, like, Vincent Price voice somehow to use in the movie because it needs to be in there but i think you're setting up a nightcap but we'll get to that i think i am yeah so just to wrap this thing up uh what's your favorite tasting note of jungle cruise i guess per action bits the initial chase between the jungle cruise incorporated team versus prince joaquin and that in the dockside mercado is interesting enough with what's getting blown up and how things are moving like that was a fun action bit so i guess i'll go with that good one mine's that first little bit of dialogue where he's really that's good leering into the jungle cruise aspect of the the ride into the film yeah i thought he was really good at that Mm -hmm. it made me want to see because i'm very curious about you know the rock has like 10 movies in development he's no worse than guillermo del toro right now whether it's Doc Savage or Black, Black Adam, Adam or Jumanji 4, 3. 3? Three, three? Yeah, three. 3, it'd be 3. The Big Trouble in Little China film that he was a, kind of tied to, whether that's a remake or a sequel, and if he's playing the Jack Burton, like, you know how much I love the original and sure. how much I love Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah. But I kind of, I'm curious to see how Dwayne Johnson could take that character and what they could do with it. Me too. What's the... is a no-brainer for me. It's that midpoint twist. I just, I could not, my brain could not process that the writers and the team and everyone went there and I literally had a conversation with my with myself saying, does no one at Disney in the writer's room have any restraint when it comes to ideas? They just said, you know what? Fuck it, he's cursed. He's 400 years old. Put it, <laughs> put it in the movie. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Whereas we would be like, no, we, we can't do that. You know how how preposterous and ridiculous that is mm-hmm. on on in words it sounds on paper it had to look more ridiculous i don't know how anyone just said like can we like relook evaluate how this is presented on screen i couldn't believe it i just could not believe it and it was it was a shocking moment for me yeah it's good uh mine's prince joaquin's death Oh, getting crushed to nothing <laughs> yeah because you really do see him just collapse under the weight of that boulder and when that happened I, I looked next door to my wife sitting right next to me mm-hmm. and I just kind of shook my head like what in this is a, isn't this a kid's movie? And I realized at that moment with these wild stretches of mysticism, 
and what should have been a riverboat race versus a sub race for the flower. That's what this movie was Mm -hmm. real simple and swashbuckling fun along the way. And as they move through the jungle, we meet a few friends. We run into each other a couple times, but when we get reincarnated bee conquistadors and reincarnated bee serpent men, and we get you're this, right. They looked like Stellan Skarsgård in Pirates 2. Yeah. All crustacean yeah. with orifices growing out of your face. And then getting turned into Clash of the Titans, Medusa stone embodiments, and then his crushing death. I just found myself shaking my head. That essentially was the same thing tonally, like you said. Like, what in the almighty hell is happening? Or hap- what did I just do for two hours? Yeah, isn't it refreshing? Like, like such a such a, a snobby thing to say but like when you have a film like this and it's just so all over the place with what its ideas and what it's trying to present to us when you bring up a film like ghostbusters like hey we we catch ghosts let's open up a business yeah, let's do it hey we're pretty good at it hey we're catching too many ghosts hey they're all out hey we got to get them again movie's over you know what i mean it's so simple it's okay so simple yes <laughs> i was just thinking the same thing i know it's a different element of disney but let me give you mm-hmm. Onward. Sure, yeah. Or Coco. Mm-hmm. Both of those movies sat down and said, this movie is going to be about brotherhood onward. This movie is going to be about music, if you want to go that way with Coco. And we are going to make this in a, Onward's a pretty fantastical film. Mm-hmm. Think about all of the mythical creatures that are just roaming the streets freely. Yeah. But the concept. The unique world, the unique world yeah. Is, which Jungle Cruise offered. Mm-hmm. They are all part of the same house. There has to be an overseeing voice, Kathleen Kennedy, not. So, I mean, you don't have to worry about her screwing it up. Someone else is screwing this up. (laughs) Which I do do have a comment about a producer in just a minute. But I want to, so remind me to come back to it. Um, That they couldn't just say, okay, Jungle Cruise should be about if The Rock is a con man, and that's what we're going to base his opening in the film is, which is what the movie is, The Eighth Wonder, The Backside of Water then this movie is about honesty. Yeah. Being honest. That's what this movie's about. Instead, this movie is about immortality and the pursuit of the removal of the curse, I guess, of immortality. And that boulder crushing down on Prince Joaquin, boy, this is like actually my breakdown mm-hmm. on my review instead of my oh my God moment. Yeah. Was everything in a nutshell that this movie... <laughs> missed yeah you're right who's the master distiller on the jungle cruise the rock yeah he he, he was good you his, his scenes were good you give it to him i'll give it to emily blunt we'll just mash it together yeah i think they're pretty good together uh it was boys emily blunt made your list twice at this summer did she get a quiet place also i think she did well you like her or it might have been krasinski with that one probably no, was I, I, I might have given it to the kids in that one honestly oh you did i think but she was good in that one, too. Yeah, she's uh, had a good summer. No, yeah, she's had a good summer. No, I thought that was a good a tandem together. Mm-hmm. I do whoever thought the Rock, the Rock and Emily Bloom would be good on screen together. But their comedic moments are good. When they're romantic, I buy it. Uh, when they're cute, it's okay. Like, that's not what ruined and derailed the film for me. It was the preposterous of where they took us on a journey to just like, oh, my God, I'm buckle up because I don't know where we're going. There's crustaceans. Mm. <laughs> How are you going to rate and grade Jungle Cruise? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Can I go first this week? Yes, you can. Because I know I've been harsh, and I know that moment is unforgivable for me in a filmmaking, writing, screenwriting point of view. I'm going to go Well Minus 
it's so close to being rock gut, but the chemistry, those elements keep it from being entirely terrible. But there's some choices in decision making in this process that or I'm just like, I can't believe that people just like check sign the checks that this was okay to spend two hundred million dollars. Suicide Squad was one eighty five, so we're not even that it wasn't even as much as this film was. Mm, and mm, I mm. just don't see it because it's all in the computer screen. Yeah. So well minus, I mean it's a bit it's a bit of a miss for me at the, at the end of the day. I, I wanted more from it, but I like I like Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt. I, they delivered, so that was something to hang my cabana hat on. <laughs> Mine's not much different. Okay. It's just regular well. Uh, with the popcorn and some nice air conditioning and my family yeah. and the theater setting, that was enough Coca-Cola with the Jack Daniels Black and a lime to make <laughs> a Cubra Libre. Oh, there you go. We should drink more of those. And I guess it was an afternoon that I totally didn't regret at the end giving up for this, but, but when you leave, you're just like, it's over. Yeah. Man, let's that, go to old Navy. What's that? Dodger score? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's literally the, the face you made. which is like, yeah, it's over. And I was just like, Oh, Dodgers lost to the pirates. Fantasy's taking on the chin. Now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that type of film. Exactly. So there's, a, I'm, I'm curious. Justin. Go ahead. Go ahead. When you were talking about this, my mind wandered for a minute and here's my question for you. Okay. I like your questions. <laughs> it's been a rough summer. Oh, yeah. And I think Warner Brothers is at the forefront they've, of what's been the roughest part of this summer. They fully embraced their bad summer. <laughs> if we had cut this podcast, mm-hmm. let's say 12 months ago. So po- like, let's say after Terminator, when we kind of really kind of found our foot in the show. and, and Oh, like really early on in the show. First Terminator, yeah. Would this movie had been at that time rot gut minus? And the reason I'm asking is, well, let me, let me let you answer that first. Do you think this movie would have received a lower rating 12 months to 16 months ago than it does now? This is a big moment right now because this might be a shocking and troubling admission from you. Maybe. I think so. Are we becoming conditioned to shitty films now? I just think maybe just the general public. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like it's, but that's not an indicative of some of the gems that we've had in there as well. I think, you know, like Mank. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Like Possessor. Good. Possessor, Invisible Man, Sorcerer, there's, Sorcerer. Yeah, there's been some films in. Oh, that's that's an older. I'm thinking of maybe some like newer, new, newer oh, films. Yeah. Serenity beat the hell out of us. <laughs> I think you mentioned the last two contemporary ones that were good, though. Well, you know, John Wick 3, we, we okay, like that. Okay, all right, that's fair. There's been a few in there that we've been like, yeah, that's different. There's a different world. There's a different buy in there. Uh, there's some uniqueness in there. And I think that's what we're looking for at the end of the day. You and I like to be, we want to see something we haven't seen a billion times over. If I want to see Jungle Cruise, I'm just going to go watch Raiders or I'm going to go watch The Mummy. Well, fuck, I'll throw on African Queen as well. Yeah. With Possessor and Invisible Man and John Wick 3, it was like kind of refreshing that they were taking these concepts in vastly different ideas. Invisible Man was like a domestic violence spousal abuse movie yeah. in a universal monster setting, and it worked. Boy, didn't it. Possessor was Cronenberg's son taking the reins on the body whore for uh, possessing body thievery of corporate ideals. I mean, it was kind of a 
an infusion of sexual thriller in it. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I think we want something we haven't seen before to really kind of jar us. The other one I would kind of throw in there and you were a little more problematic than I was, was knives out was kind of a interesting whodunit kind of set with the all-star cast. But apart from that, you're right. I think, yeah, I think we are getting more comfortable with average films. Oh my gosh. And what's the more alarming part to me is the money being spent on them. 185 last week, 200 this week. We'll check the numbers on next week's film, but it probably wasn't cheap. Uh, a lot of money being spent on just okay. And I don't want just okay. I want to just take me to another level, man. Black Widow was just okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, a was, Quiet Place 2 was just okay. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Um, Conjuring 3 was not okay. <laughs> and we came to find that 1 and 2 were just okay at Yo, best. Oh my God, that's the sentiment of the summer. So, <laughs> man. Um, You're right. You and I are being conditionally brainwashed here for mediocre, my friend. Well, if we're able to see through the brainwashery, everyone else is just like, uh, they're just like eating it up. We didn't even bring up, you didn't even watch it. I did. (laughs) Space Jam, A New Legacy. Don't even get me started. No. We won't even cover that on this show. (laughs) Unless we do the summer box office hall of shame again. Yeah. But yeah, this is really interesting, but I think we got a pretty good nightcap here and then we'll tail it off in what we're going to cover next week. So... You're going to love this sound because this was bothering me the whole film. I was like, where do I know this from? Mm. Nothing else matters by Metallica. Is it really? The whole time I was watching, because that's like the conquistador theme when they're like being encased in honey. (laughs) stone yeah and i was like where do i know that music from i was like that's a rock song and i just i couldn't i had a brain fart i couldn't think of the title and so i looked up the soundtrack and i was ready to just rail into that too i was like the soundtrack stole metallica i knew it was a metallica it is song. huh yeah it, it it is but it is metallica they came and redid this like acoustic version of nothing else matters for this film so at least it wasn't thieved and i can accuse it of thievery at least it was put in there but i was it really bothered me i was like what is that song another tv dinner there you go just reimagined and palatable it's a weird choice boy why no that shit. song and that band and why this movie <laughs> nothing else matters yeah. that <sighs> I, i'll have to play for you after this there's a there's a kind of like an interesting it's not a cappella but it's like a like a choral band and they do like versions of like smells like teen spirit and radiohead's creep Sure, you've heard it, but they dueling did. cellos. No, 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 no. It's like a choral group, mm. and they sing it, and it's so haunting. But they did a version of "Nothing Else Matters," and it's eerie as hell. It's so good. Cool. I like to hear it. The nightcap prefaced yeah. it last week. It's just rife for just the taking. But if Disney's gonna now look to their theme parks for inspiration, uh, what right attraction would make for a great uh, film? I have one, and it is so simple. Okay. It is so simple. Keep it simple. Really simple. Yeah. It's Big Thunder Mountain, and all you have to do is go back to westward expansion period in the United States with railroad magnate and um, geographic expert to move this railroad either around or through this mountain. When you do that, we're going to introduce some elements of mining and a mother load, and we are going to introduce the elements of the indigenous species that they have to come to terms with, or whether that be a Native American element, or whether that just be 
the natural forces of animals in their environment. That's it. That's all I want. Do you want like a rival gang, like in Tombstone, <laughs> like um, tra- oh, trying to get you off the mountain? Maybe like the who Cowboys? can do it first? Yeah. Um, sure, that could work too. Yeah. Really simple. That's it. Super simple. Yeah. There's something really good about that ride when you go up the first hill there and like everything's like yeah. steaming at you and you're like, Jesus, where are we going? And then like, and you just like go off like. Kind of a Western, right? That's uh, got a Western feel to, be, to it. It would have to be a Western film vibe with like some mining elements with like the boon. Yep. And then, yeah, you have maybe the Indian Native American element. And then I kind of like that. The rival kind of like blasting crew would be cool. Sounds awesome. We don't need, I don't want ghosts. <laughs> no, I don't want mermaids. No, don't I don't need, want yetis. <laughs> I just want. You don't need ghosts. <laughs> I just want normal humans taking on. Ready? This is a first. Are you ready for this? Dynamite blast. Man <laughs> versus nature. And I'm okay with it in this. Film. Oh man. That's a first for this show. To that. It'll, wow. it'll never happen again. It's growth. It'll never happen again. Growing. Well, I kind of teased mine in that little joke I played on you. I think the Matterhorn bobsled. Uh, I want actually want that movie. Yeah, that could kind of be like Vertical Limit, but with like a Yeti monster chasing you. Mm. Speaking of, I've been watching a lot of like Hammer horror films lately. Great. Peter Cushing, Christopher yeah. Lee. One of our Hammer's earliest films was a film called The Abominable Snowman with Peter Cushing on like an expedition in Everest. And like they had to like fight these Yetis. It's so preposterous. It's fun lasers to white apes like in congo yeah exactly oh my god congo remember that just mowing them down you ready for this yeah amy <laughs> <laughs> you had it tatanka oh tatanka. goodness that's uh, good. the michael crichton that Woo. the bad michael crichton now out, out, outweighs the good in my opinion yeah. in terms of the film quality the abyss but uh no you're thinking of spear spear yeah <laughs> And uh, Disclosure and Rising Sun. But no, Oof. I think I think Matterhorn could be a lot of fun. It could be a mountain climbing, like like I, the Iger Sanction. I can't believe mm. I'm bringing up that film. Mm-hmm. But there's a Yeti element and, you know, the, we, how are we going to dispose of that? Love it. Maybe just make a monster movie. I think that'd be cool. Like, I'd love it. Yeah, that, I think that. I, I kind of toyed around with Space Mountain, but I'm like, what the hell would that look like? And then at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I kind of like Hyperspace Mountain more than the real Space Mountain. So that's just Star Wars, everyone. So Is Matterhorn, is that an expedition that runs into a Yeti while on expedition? Oh, that could be cool, yeah. And then have to find a way to get down, and that's create these sleds or something? Yeah. Like, I like that. Yeah. Could be it's good. like the film Everest, which is that's based on a true story of this tragic event, but... Imagine them encountering a Yeti as well. Like it's part of it. There's a storm. Like you can have a lot of fun with it. That's good. But uh, yeah, I think I really thought when when Pirates came out, I was like, Jesus, that was good. It made a lot of money. Everyone seemed to like it. They're going to do that. And then boom, Haunted Mansion, Eddie Murphy. And then everyone hated that because it's not a good movie, everybody. And then it kind of died out. But then Jungle Cruise seems to revive this revive this idea of let's look to the theme park rides and see what we can kind of come up with. But if they're going to be Jungle Cruise, no, bell on that idea. I want more pirates and less this. Can I give you my honorable mention? Yeah, go ahead. I, I Big Thunder was one of my honorable mentions. Have you ever been on the Incredicoaster? Oh, yeah. So what if that ride was based on this family that was kind of like the Fantastic Four <laughs> that each got superpowers and had to fight crime? Sign me up. I want to see it. Let's see that movie. For real. <laughs> Excellent. This has been a lot of fun talking about Jungle Cruise from 2021. Four weeks ago is its release date. Mm -hmm. And next week, we're going to wrap up our 2021 revisitation with another 
uh, release. We're going to HBO Max again, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, the film is reminiscent. The stars are Hugh Jackman and Miss Rebecca Ferguson. And I got to say, I've prefaced this a lot. Uh, this has everything that you want and need in a movie. First of all, you like Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson as actors and actresses. Dude. It's got a noirish vibe. Mm-hmm. It's got a sci-fi-ish spin. And it's got this kind of like memory-esque element that uh, it's got like all these things that I know you like about movies and want in a movie. I want to know if this is going to deliver for you. Well, I think there's a piece in here that's very familiar to you as well. And that's sure. Inception-like. Yeah. So uh, I think we both have high hopes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then we'll wrap up this and then, man, we'll blink an eye and the ghouls and the crypts are opening up again <laughs> and falls coming down on my favorite season. I think your favorite, probably favorite season too. It is. And we got to get into some spooky stuff, albeit intermixed with some new releases because we got a one secret agent finally has his movie coming out and we're going to talk about it, baby. Shang-Chi too. <laughs> oh yeah, Shang-Chi. Yeah, we got, uh, what's Marvel going to give us? They're the gift that keeps on giving for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. get Reminiscence next week. Go check it out. It came out on HBO Max yesterday. Yep. Uh, you'll have it there for the, the rest of the month, and we'll be tackling that next week. Can't wait. So cheers. Uh, hit us up on uh, Facebook or Instagram at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. Yeah, that's a great way to contact us. Fun stuff going on on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Films. We're tackling true romance this week. That's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. Yes. Revisit that one. Uh, that's streaming on HBO Max as well right now. Uh, and uh, check out T Public. Get your merch, fun shirt. Go get your Jungle Cruise shirt. There's a Jungle Cruise shirt on there. <laughs> it doesn't have those terrible jokes on there, but it, it could be fun to wear, and then you go take it, wear it on the ride. That's right. Uh, but uh, excellent. We'll see you all next week. I got to get going. Uh, I'm going to go get on my Jungle Cruise, and uh, I'm going to tell some really bad jokes, too. <laughs> Let's see if I can go find a black cat and train it like Bagheera. Excellent. Yeah, be better than Proxima. Mm. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Jungle Cruise is property of Walt Disney Pictures, Davis Entertainment, Seven Bucks Productions, and Flynn Pitcher Company, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. The backside of water. It looks just like the front side. It's completely different. It's the ace wonder of the world, the backside of water. Guys, get your cameras out. Come on. You don't want to miss this. Snap, snap, snap.